Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so what I want you to do, uh, in front of your pew, right in front of you, if you're in the front pew, it should be under you, there are uh, sermon notes, like a little notebook that you can write sermons on. I want you to grab one of those, grab a pen. I know like 30% of you won't do what I'm asking right now, but that's okay, we're gonna go with it. We're gonna go along with it. I want you to answer a few questions for me. We will grade these at the end of the sermon. No, we're not turning these in. I actually want you to write these answers down and I want you to keep it in your Bible. And then as we go through these next several weeks, I want you to write down scripture references that match uh, whether your answer was correct or not. No big deal. We want to start somewhere and then progress along. Uh, throughout these next eight weeks. I'm super excited about a a series that we're getting into, and I'll explain that in a moment. All right, first question. What I want you to do is just write a brief definition, a few words, one sentence, of what you think the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? Just a sentence. If you have no clue, just write no clue down, be honest. You don't have to sound like a theologian. In your own words, in your own understanding, with your own language, What do you think the kingdom of God is? Just a basic definition. You could type it in your phone if you don't want to handwrite anymore, whatever. It's the basic definition of what you think the kingdom of God is. All right, if you're still writing, that's okay. Second question, how do you enter this kingdom? Again, complete sentences aren't necessary. One or two words is fine. How do you enter the kingdom of God? You buy your ticket on Expedia.com and you take a flight and you, like, how do you get in? How are you allowed into this kingdom? There's somebody looking it up right now on Expedia too. Kingdom of God, How do you get in? The third question, who is in charge of the kingdom? And if you grew up in Sunday school, you might be writing Jesus down for all these answers. Like, I don't care what the question is. Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Jesus is the answer. All right. Who's in charge? And then the last one, where is the kingdom located? So basic definition of the kingdom of God, how you think you get into this kingdom, who is in charge, and where is it located? Like I said, I am, I'm really excited about these next uh, six to eight weeks that we're going to spend together uh, going through a series of messages that we're calling Exploring the Kingdom. And today's message specifically is called the priority or the priority of the kingdom. Uh, I feel like if we, you know, we use these lofty terms like like gospel expansion and kingdom advancement, like all these theological terms, but if we don't actually make it practical of how we can live this out, like how can we actually thrive in the kingdom of God? Do we actually know what it is, who's in charge, how to get in, how to live within the kingdom? Then we're not actually going to change the world, right? I, I was learning about different church models before uh, several, several months back, and one of the guys says that a lot of churches, uh, they think they're changing the world, but they're actually living a fantasy, 
They, we, they talk about, you know, taking the kingdom and doing all these things, advancing and changing lives and spreading the gospel. But it's like, are the people of that church family actually leading people to Jesus, praying for the sick, seeing deliverance in their lives? Like, are we actually seeing real lives changed? So I want to be able to say yes for our entire church family. I want to have a lot of fun doing it too and have the joy that we've been talking about doing it. But I do think that there are like three basic reasons uh, that people uh, have for not fully understanding this term, kingdom of God, and it's used a lot in the New Testament. The first one is, in the United States, we've never lived in an earthly kingdom. We don't have like a king and a queen. We don't have territories, territories like they do. We don't have the same laws. We're not forced to celebrate uh, certain ways or dress a certain way. So we don't understand the terms that Jesus was using. They did. When he was talking about the kingdom of God has come, changed the way you think, they understood that. They understood it primarily because of the Roman Empire. So there were kingdoms in place that they were able to understand that we just don't in our society. So we want to help bridge that gap. The second is because Jesus taught about the kingdom in parables. A lot of times people read parables and they'll say, oh, that's like a nice story. Like, what does it mean? I have no clue. I'm just, I'm just reading through my Bible, right? But we have to stop, we have to slow down and actually understand what Jesus was talking about. If he says the kingdom of God is like this, then we need to slow down enough. We need to look at some, some root words and some context of why he was teaching that way and then come into a fuller understanding of what this kingdom is. And the third thing is, is the kingdom of God is simply misunderstood. Some people think the kingdom of God is just when Jesus returns to earth for the millennial reign. Some people, thinks, uh, that some people think that the kingdom of God is just when you get saved and then you get to go to heaven. And some people think the kingdom of God is just heaven. But the kingdom of God is much, much more. If we just simplify this, look at what Jesus was saying and then embrace that life. In Romans 14, 17, it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at that one verse that Paul wrote, the, king, the joy is one-third of the kingdom of God. That's why we've been talking about joy these past three or four weeks, right? It should be a joyful experience to live in the kingdom of God. It should not be the struggle to survive for one more day. It says here, it's not about the things we're doing on this earth like eating and drinking, but righteousness, which is our position in Christ, peace, our ability to sustain in the midst of a trial, and joy. It's our attitude. It's our well-being because of who we are in Christ. So if you don't feel like, even over this last month, that the Lord's given you more joy, go back, listen to those messages that we talked about over these past four weeks, and ask the Lord uh, to give you more of that joy. Uh, since the kingdom of God begins at the time we say yes to Jesus, and our eternal life begins then, then the rest of our life and the rest of all of eternity will be lived in the kingdom of God. So because of that, I think it's important that we understand how to function. But even before that, I think it's important to understand what this kingdom looks like, who's in charge, where it's located, and all of those things. That's why we're going to give you a roadmap over these next eight weeks. I wanted to dive right in. Uh, when I was praying about it, I wanted to dive right in and uh, start teaching about the parables and how Jesus, you know, the principles of the kingdom and different things like that. But I feel like the Lord says, listen, they need a roadmap first. Like we actually need to understand the ins and the outs and our way around the kingdom so then we're comfortable living and thriving within that kingdom. 
So a roadmap is important, isn't it? Yeah. My family and I went to Washington, D.C. this past um, summer, and man, I had an app for the, the, uh, the metro. I had an app for you know, the GPS tracking of where we are. I had an app for when all the, the museums were open. So as my family was enjoying it, I'm like looking at all the technology behind it. It only messed me up one time. We were like looking for the metro, and I'm like, the dot says it's right here. And then once I reloaded it, like the dot was like a mile and a half away. But in most cases, a roadmap is really, really good. So that's what we want to do. We want to look through Scripture and understand what in the world is this kingdom so I can actually do what we're talking about. I can actually advance the kingdom of God through my life. If you turn to Genesis 1, first book of the Bible, and if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, first book of the New Testament, we'll start at each of those locations and kind of just push forward a little bit out of each of those. So Genesis chapter 1, and then Matthew chapter 4, if you want to just uh, earmark those. This entire past summer, we talked about rediscovering normal Christianity, right? We were looking at ways that the early church lived and how we can actually walk this out. How Jesus equipped them is the same way that he wants us to be equipped. But as I was praying about what to speak on this summer, I felt like the Lord was saying, if we don't actually understand how to live in, within the kingdom of God, then all the things that we talk about and teach about and preach about can become almost like ritualistic in our life. They could just become the habits. Oh, I just do these. I don't know. I heard it in a Sunday school class. I heard it in a Bible study. I heard it in a sermon. So I, I just do this. Instead of actually thriving in this kingdom that the Lord has given us citizenship in as we say yes to Jesus. So that's why we're going to camp out here for really as long as we need to. We have the next eight weeks uh, etched out here, but we'll see what the Lord wants to do uh, through this. So if we're going to learn about the kingdom, what I want to do is actually start way back in the beginning. So I believe understanding God's original intention for mankind will give us a greater understanding of his kingdom. So if you're in Genesis chapter one, we see here God's original intent for creating, creating human beings in the Garden of Eden, where God's kingdom included two human beings. Now, you don't see the word kingdom, but you'll understand very quickly it was his kingdom on earth at the beginning. Starting at verse 26. It says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So woman is obviously included in being created in God's image. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I think sometimes we read through creation because like our children's books and the stories we hear, we break these up into days. So it's like, what happened on day one? And what happened on day two? And what happened on day three? And like, we're just trying to like kind of remember facts of what God created. And we actually have to slow down. This part deals with us, right? If you're a human being, this is really important. What he was saying was happening here. So we're gonna look at these verses in just a minute. I want you to go to uh, Genesis chapter two just for a minute. In verse seven, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into the, in his nostrils the breath of life. <clears throat> and the man became a living being. So he actually had uh, the ruha, the breath of God was in Adam's lungs that actually brought him to life. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. It says, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden 
And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all the kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if we just look at like the summary of creation before we touch on some of these verses here, man and woman were created in the image of God and they were placed in a garden to roll over the animals, to tend the land, to be fruitful and multiply. So if you actually look at these verses and take, take literally what God wanted to do, we have the Garden of Eden, which is believed to be somewhere right around there, okay? This garden could not have been huge because he gave them the ability to tend it, right? So he's saying roll over it, have dominion over it, and then he's saying to reproduce, multiply, increase in number, and then continue to govern the land. If you look at some of these, these words in different translations, it's not just to roll over, but to actually govern it, to tend it, to have dominion over it. It also says, I think it's in Genesis 3.8, I could be wrong, but I think it's in that verse, where it says that God, while God was walking in the cool of the day. So he was actually walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So if we're starting to put these pieces together. We have man and woman here, and we have God not in heaven, not separate, but actually on earth walking with them with the intent that they would never sin, that they wouldn't choose away from him, but they would actually choose to be intimate with him for all of their lives. And as they're intimate with each other, they what? They reproduce and they multiply. And guess what happens when you have too many kids in a small place? Now we get a bigger place. Well, guess what would happen? The garden would begin to expand and expand. They would begin, continue to tend, to roll over, to govern the garden until the garden expands and expands and expands. And guess what? If we choose intimacy with the Lord, this continues to recreate and recreate and recreate. And now the only evangelism that would have to happen is when a child is born, you teach them about heaven, the heavenly father who's still walking in the cold of the day until the earth is covered with his glory. We mess this up so early on in the Bible that we don't, take, we, don't, we don't think about this enough. His intention was to be with us, heaven with us, his presence with us. And that we would fill the earth and subdue the earth until his glory covered the entire globe. So all the way back when man and woman were created in his image, the kingdom of God was already on this earth. And the kingdom of God was intended to expand simply by people having children, teaching them the ways of the Lord and living in intimacy with the Lord. We all right? So let's take a look at a few of the verses. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Let us make man in our image. So we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. Let them roll over, and it lists the fish, the birds, livestock over all the earth. Two things I want to pick out here in our image. Do we know if God looks anything like us, or if we look anything like God, I should say? Do we know that, physically speaking? No, we, we, don't. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know that. Are we all-powerful or all-knowing or all-present? No, so obviously we weren't created that. If we look at our nature, though, our ability, once we're born again, 
to be pure, to be kind, to be loving, to be compassionate, to walk in power. When we think of that part of God's nature, we were actually created in his image, in that fashion, in his likeness, in that fashion. So God actually put a stamp on our hearts with the capacity to be able to walk this thing out in the nature of God without us being anywhere like him in his divinity. This word to roll over, it means to have dominion. It means to exercise authority over, to manage or govern. Again, since man was created originally in God's image, this authority is one of love and compassion and concern. A lot of times when we hear that man was created for rulership, and people hear that word dominion, they think, oh yeah, these Christians are trying to take over by force. This isn't a power struggle for us, guys. We're not like busting into different offices and just trying to take over, right? This is through an act of love. This is through a movement of compassion. This is us exerting the power of God against the powers of the enemy until we see the enemy put under the foot of our Savior. So this has nothing to do, when you hear that word dominion, this has nothing to do with us just coming in like some power you know, force to take over. Absolutely not. This is one of love and compassion because remember, we were created in his image. So now picture love, kindness, compassion, care, concern, flooding the face of this earth without the fall of man. You know, when you think, when you think about the Bible, this is, this is what this is explaining, is God's covenants with us. It's his relationship with us. It's his desire to be in close, intimate relationship with us. Over and over again in the Old Testament, you see it, and it just flows right into the New Testament. Now we know our relationship can be right with him through the person of Jesus Christ. As we bow our knee to him, we come into right standing with God, and once again, we can, we can receive this kingdom. In verse 28, I've already read it. I just want to skim over it again where it says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over it. So when we're thinking about this being fruitful and increasing in number, it's just a reproduction. It's a multiplication. God's into multiplication. So as we're, as we're multiplying children, as we're multiplying families, the kingdom of God is simply advancing. It's not until sin came into the earth that now we're fighting another battle to expand the kingdom of God. When it says subdue it, this is a governing. See, we're not, they're not using kingdom of God in the Old Testament here, but when he's saying subdue the earth, govern the earth, again, it's from the heart of God that they were designed to actually govern what was happening on the face of this earth so his glory could expand and so his kingdom could cover the entire earth. However, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was great loss. You think about it. A lot of times we just think about the separation part. And there was, there was major separation. There was a loss in relationship between God and man. Now, a lot of people, they'll think, well, as soon as we sin, God, God went running, right? God's like, you know, afraid of sin or allergic to sin or something. He's like, well, I can't be near you now. Well, what did God say to Adam? Where are you? Right? He came and pursued him. He's the one that made the first sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve. He's the one that protected them from eating of the tree of life and living forever stuck in their sin. So when we look at man's broken relationship because of the sin, it was man who broke relationship with God. God didn't go anywhere. Heaven didn't go anywhere. It's still pursuing us for that relationship. When we think about it also, 
God created us in his image. So there was a stamp put upon our heart that we actually lost the ability to, to, to live in. That's why we're born physically and now we must be born again spiritually. So we actually lost that image whenever man sinned. No longer walking in that purity that the Lord had for us. And we also lost our ability to have dominion. Without the heart of God, we can't govern the world in love, in peace, in compassion, in care, in concern, a lot of the things that the Lord would have wanted us to do. So I think it's important to know, God wanted this whole entire thing covered, his kingdom, his domain to be covered with the glory of God. We sinned, we walked away from him, we rebelled, we said we can do this thing on our own, and we don't just lose relationship, but we lose that stamp upon our heart, and we also lose the ability to govern this thing. That's why the devil was called the prince of this world in other parts of scripture. We handed it to him. God handed it to us. We're the ones that made that mistake. Now, instead of coming back into personal relationship with God, instead of, instead of repenting of sin and so on and coming back into that intimacy, what man did is actually created religion. Right? We said, okay, we're going to do this on our own. <laughs> so if you give us a bunch of rules to follow, we'll follow the rules. We'll have our rituals. We'll go to church every Sunday and we'll give and we'll do all these little things. But what happens is, is the heart is not connected to it. So think about that. When you have religion, religion is all these things that you can do to look holy and not actually be in love with God, not actually be in, in right relationship with him. So religion, it's the result of man's broken relationship with God. And religion, the problem with it is that it divides. God's kingdom doesn't divide. Religion divides. I mean, it's 11, 12 right now, so I have to talk faster. Across just this, just this county, we would think, oh yeah, we're one body, we're one, you know, one faith and so on. No, just go and look at everybody's brochure, what everybody believes. Within this one house, within each individual church, we would say, oh yeah, our beliefs bind us together. This is our brochure. This is our tenets of faith. These bind us together. But what that actually does is it divides the body of Christ through, through little, I believe this is gonna happen. I believe that's gonna happen. Obviously, I'm not talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. I'm not talking about those core beliefs of Christianity. What I'm saying is, is religion actually divides. The, the news is this. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Jesus came to reestablish his father's kingdom, the kingdom that was lost in the Garden of Eden. So this isn't like, oh, I go to a specific church. No, the kingdom of God actually brings unity. In its diversity, it brings unity. So we're not gonna show God, how many of you know that? We're not gonna show God our brochure of what denomination we were part of when we're face to face with him. He may not even check church attendance. I mean, I've, thought, I've, I've talked to a few people about that recently. Like when we stand face to face with God and we're like, I did this and this and this and this. And he was like, that's good. But like, do you just look at my book and do what's in there? <laughs> like seriously, when we think about this, it's not adhering to a religion. We're a part of an eternal kingdom that we have the opportunity to thrive in through the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives. And this kingdom that Jesus came to establish will bring believers, I'm telling you, as the end draws closer and closer, he will wipe away 
some of these denominational lines. People aren't going to worry about what, what actual house they're in because we're going to be worshiping the one true king. We're going to see a flood of power flood this entire region. We're going to see Jesus's kingdom established in a greater way. So let's take a look. After Jesus is baptized, he's tempted. As soon as he comes back, it's go time. He finds out John the Baptist is in prison. <clears throat> so he goes, he returns to Galilee. And when you're looking at somebody's firsts and lasts, they're important, right? If you look at the first thing that someone does or says, or the last thing, the first thing is usually their priority. The last thing is usually a reminder of their priority, right? When we're raising children, we're teaching them how to be safe. And right before they leave house, we're saying, be careful, be safe. So what was Jesus's priority? What's the very first thing the Bible says Jesus did when he started his ministry? Matthew chapter four, verse 17. It says, from that time on, this is Jesus has returned from after being baptized and tempted. John the Baptist is in prison. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, right? Turn away from your sin and toward God. Change the way you think is what that word means. So he's saying, think in a new way, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That word is near, some of your translations might say, has come, is upon us. It means it's around us. So the very first thing Jesus started to do, out of all the sermons he could have preached, and if you look through the Beatitudes, and if you look through chapters five into chapter six of Matthew, you'll see tons of kingdom principles that he teaches. But what's the very first thing that Matthew makes note of? Jesus is saying, start to think differently because there's a new kingdom in town. And as, even as Pastor John was saying, his kingdom operates drastically different than the kingdoms of this world. So Jesus' priority was the kingdom of God. I want to just make a side note here. You'll see in Matthew 32 times, you'll see the kingdom of heaven mentioned instead of kingdom of God. I think it's in Luke, 32 times kingdom of God is mentioned. In Matthew, the kingdom of God is only mentioned five times. The rest of the times are kingdom of heaven. Um, in Mark, I believe it's four or five times. Uh, and then in John, it's two times, kingdom of God. The only time you see the phrase kingdom of heaven is in the book of Matthew, primarily because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. So they did not speak the word Yahweh the original word for God, the Hebrew word for God. In fact, sometimes they didn't even speak Elohim, which is a word that's used throughout uh, their Hebrew Bible. So if you're looking at kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, you'll see some theologians disagree on it. Uh, what I've come to conclude from my studies is, is they, they're, they're one and the same. If you look at how Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew and compare that to all the stories in Luke that say kingdom of God, they're the same. It's the same instances in that. So anytime you hear those, we're talking about the same kingdom. I'm going to look at two definitions. Don't write these down. They're long and they can get confusing. I'll give you a short one that we'll go by. What is an earthly kingdom? It's the domain of a king. It's wherever that king is in charge, all of his territories. So it's the governing influence of a king within his territory, impacting it with his personal will, his purpose, his intent. And what's it producing? It's actually producing a culture. It's producing values, morals, a lifestyle that actually reflects the will of that king. If you look in Pittsburgh, we're actually a pretty good kingdom, right? People say yins, people wear their Steelers stuff. Like we celebrate Sundays at one o'clock. You're watching, it's 11, 18. Like all these things are going through your head because the Steelers started. 
is not a kingdom, though. If you look at a definition for the kingdom of God, and I want, I'll, I'll give you an abbreviated one in just a moment. The kingdom of God is this. It's the domain of God. Now, we could say he's created all of this, right? He has. He has created the entire earth. Who gave that dominion up? We did, right? The heavens are the Lord's, the earth he has placed in, hands, in, the, man's, in the hands of man to govern. So our sin separates us. We no longer have the heart of God, so we no longer have the ability to rule and reign, to govern the world as the Father would intend. So now the domain of God is any place, any territory, any heart, any person that looks to God as their Father. So the governing influence of God over what? His people and the earth, impacting us with his personal will, purpose, and intent, same as the other one, producing a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflects God's desire and nature for his children. So when you think about when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, anytime the love of God is shown to somebody, the kingdom of God actually comes upon them. Anytime we pray for a sick person and they're healed, the kingdom of God has come upon them, right? It's his will, it's his intent, it's his purpose. Anytime somebody asks God for forgiveness of their sins, repents, turns away from sin and to God, guess what has happened? The kingdom of God has come upon them. So what happens is the kingdom continues to advance in a person's life until they've received Jesus and they're born again. And then the Bible says the kingdom of God is within them. In fact, when Jesus is teaching, he's saying, listen, you're not going to say the kingdom is here or there because the kingdom of God is within you. So now we're not looking like for the door with the ticket to say, oh, I'm in? Nope, I'm out. I'm going to visit until nine o'clock and then they close. The kingdom of God is within any person who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. So when we're saying we're advancing the kingdom of God, what we're doing, we're not taking any high level of status and power. No, we're actually operating as our king would. And guess what our king did? He sent his son to live the life of a servant, to die a sinner's death, to take on all the reproach that one could ever take on. It's out of that lifestyle of servanthood that we rule and we reign. It's out of that lifestyle of the Father's heart that we can then expand the kingdom of God. So what I want to do is just work, use this as a working definition for these next several weeks and then into the future. For the kingdom of God, it's God's heart for his people expressed through the lives of his children through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, God is a sovereign God. He could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So there could be somebody at home right now and he could just blast them with his power and his peace and his presence and he's expanding his own kingdom. I'm talking about a working definition for us in this series because even in heaven, right, the kingdom of God will continue to last. So this is a working definition for us, for the breath that we have on this earth. What is it? It's God's heart for his people expressed through his children, through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So let's see what Jesus does. First priority, repent. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very next verse, verse 18. As Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. 
Verse 19, come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fisher of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Did you notice Jesus didn't say, raise your hand during an altar call, you're called a Christian and go on with your merry little way? What was he saying? He's saying, like, follow me, spend your life with me, wake up when my hair's messy and my breath stinks and walk with me each and every day. Because guess what happens when you're with Jesus? You become like Jesus, your values adhere to Jesus, your morals begin to look more like Jesus until we are once again living out the nature of Jesus on this earth. Kind of sounds like a kingdom's being set up. Kind of sounds like when we look to him as king, we actually become like the king when we continue to follow the king. So, raising your hand at an altar call is important. Walking forward is important. Saying yes for the very first time is important. But if you notice, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, check the box and you're in. It was actually a lifestyle of following him. Because you'll learn to celebrate like he celebrates. You'll learn to, to receive the joy that was in him. And you'll actually become like him. So what did he do? Matthew chapter four, verse 23. He taught in the synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom. He spent his time teaching and preaching about the kingdom. But guess what else comes along with the kingdom? Healing every disease and sickness among the people. Right? People were brought to him, uh, all who were ill by various diseases, suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. So he wasn't just talking the talk, he was actually walking the walk. He's saying, This is my kingdom. It's much more than just having your sins forgiven and waiting to go to heaven. It's having your sins forgiven so you're clean, so you're born again, so you now can receive that nature of God, that image of God back in your heart, and now you can begin to walk this out in the most practical of ways by teaching and preaching the love of God, the gospel message, the kingdom, praying for those who are sick, ministering to those who are tormented until they see freedom. If you look at all of Jesus' teachings, I believe Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33, show his priority is the kingdom. I won't read all these verses, I just want to read a few here, and then we'll take communion in just a few minutes. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? If you look down at verse 31, it says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after. You know, the pagans were people of different religions, people who think they can do it on their own. They were looking and running after these things. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. So what does Jesus say? Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I actually don't believe these verses are taught in context a lot. A lot of times we'll use these as like worry management, like stress management tools. Like, okay, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's saying, let all of these other things fall off to the side. Seek first 
God's kingdom. Do you know this kingdom I've been preaching about and teaching about and I came to reestablish? Do you know this kingdom that God set up with Adam and Eve, but then they, they lost it? That's the kingdom you should be seeking first. Because when you seek these things first, all these other things are going to still be added. So what we're doing is we're rehearsing our tomorrow and we're losing our today. What could happen wrong tomorrow? Am I going to have the bills paid? Am I going to have enough of this? Am I going to have, and we're rehearsing everything that could go wrong tomorrow, and we've completely wasted our today. You know, I'm very thankful that Jesus is a patient, mild, caring, concerned counselor. I do think if I was in charge of this, I would probably have responded more like the counselor in this video here. Let's take a look, and we'll finish up. Tell me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes! S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. <laughs> stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. <gasps> I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no, childhood. No, no, no. We, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well... <laughs> So in his, own, in his own loving and concerning way, he's just saying, stop it. You know what that means? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, when you think of, I'll, I'll just have a, a quick list up there of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's surprising when you look at these things, this is actually the Christian prayer list a lot of times. Right? We're concerned with water, food, clothing, fits under some of those in the bottom. Housing, protection, security, preservation, friendship, significance, self-actualization. Maslow's saying these are all the needs we have. And then Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, do you see all these needs we have? 
Stop worrying about them. Stop fretting about them. Stop losing sleep over them. And seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That word seek simply means to explore, to understand, to go after. It's to pursue. So we can rest in him. We rest in the finished work, right? But our heart is pursuing him and seeking him. Before, before opening up the bills, we seek him. So we come into that with an understanding. That word first, guess what that means? Very good. It's our top priority. And I don't think he's actually making like a list like Maslow would. I don't think he's saying make, make my kingdom first and then add all these other things underneath it. I think he's saying when you put my kingdom on the throne of your heart, nothing else matters. Like, okay, so still plan, still work hard, still do the things a responsible Christian should, but you don't have to worry about them because you're seeking first. His kingdom, we've already talked about that word. It's his domain. It's his heart for us as individuals and it's his heart for the people around you. And that word righteousness there, it's not just living righteously. Righteousness is first a position. I think we have to understand that because if we're trying to live righteously, then again, we're trying to do things on our own. But if we understand the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, then it's our position. It's our right standing with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. So that word righteousness is actually a legal term. It's right standing under the government, under the authority. And that righteousness actually gives you access to the provisions of that kingdom. So somebody who was, who was living righteously, not by actions, but they're just aligned under the authority of a king or a ruler would actually have access to all of the provision of a kingdom. So they understood that. Sometimes we might not because we haven't lived there. So Jesus is saying, seek, pursue me as your top priority. Pursue the kingdom as your, your top priority. Also pursue righteousness. Pursue that standing that you're at. And as you're provided for, guess what you do? You live righteously because you've experienced the love of God. And the promise is there. All these things will be added. So today we're gonna take communion together. Uh, you can have the ushers come forward this time. This is such a beautiful picture and symbol of the new covenant that represents his kingdom coming once again to be established. It's the bread, it's the cup. It represents his blood, it represents his body. It's the whole reason why we're able to enter back into the kingdom by being reborn and being citizens of this royal kingdom. And not just citizens, but children of the King himself. So when you think about this today, when you're holding, we, at this church, we hold our bread and our cup together and we, we just take it together. I want you just to be able to think. Don't think about your lack. Don't think about your failures. You confess anything that the Holy Spirit brings to your heart, but then I want you to dwell on his kingdom, on his love, dwell on his abundance, his provision, and his promises today, and just receive his kingdom in a fresh way today. Be the mountain where I run 
the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are
if you even look at before they, they took communion, they took the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. You look at Jesus's example to us. You know, we want to roll and we want to reign. We want to have dominion over the earth. Let's follow our king. What did he do? He washed people's feet. And then he said, you go and do likewise. It's still amazing to me that he washed the feet of Judas, knowing he was the one that was about to betray him. We want to advance the kingdom of God? Let's wash some feet. Even the people who we know will walk away from us and never give their life to Jesus. It's an amazing example that he's given us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what we know in other portions of Scripture, it says that by his stripes, we are healed, already present tense. So Jesus doesn't have to do anything else. He's already done everything else needed for us to receive our healing. So we don't have to complicate the formula here, right? We're taking the bread today, and we also know it's by the beatings he took upon his body that we can receive healing. If somebody uh, uh, shared a word of knowledge with me earlier in the service today about hearing, being healed today. So we're going to pray for that right before we take the bread because it's by those stripes that he took upon his body that were healed. So I'm just going to ask you, if you have any trouble with your hearing that you would like prayer for today, I would just like you to stand at this time. You don't have to be embarrassed or anything. Just stand up. And we're going to lay hands upon you. So any trouble with hearing, we're going to stand up. So Jesus did it. Jesus did everything necessary for you to receive healing. So what I'm going to ask that you do, we see that, we see that Jesus did it, and then we see uh, it being talked about with the elders too, about the laying on of hands. So I'm just going to ask, if you have trouble hearing in one ear, just, just place your hand right over that ear. And then somebody that's near them, you don't have to touch their actual ear. Just touch, just lay your hand upon their hand. If you have trouble in both ears, go ahead and just put your hands up like this. Somebody who has faith to believe for healing, can you please get out of your seat now and just go around them? If you, have, if you see somebody with their hand up next to their ears and there's not a hand on them, if you can go ahead over. Father, today we thank you. Your word is so clear that from the very moment Jesus walked this earth and he proclaimed the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, it's a reality with us now, he preached and he taught and he healed all who were sick. So Father, we see it in the lifestyle of Jesus and then we also know that we see later on even in the gospels, he came to fulfill what was said even in the Old Testament in Isaiah that by your stripes, Jesus, we are healed. So before we even take this bread, we thank you for, for as odd as it may sound, we thank you for taking every beating, every stripe upon your back. We thank you, Father, when they put that crown upon your head and you bled from those wounds. We thank you, God, for as grotesque as it was, that it was for our benefit. 
We thank you that you carried our infirmities upon you. And because of that, we can receive healing. So if your hand is on somebody's hand that's on their ear, I just want you to to say a very simple command. Jesus commanded sicknesses to be gone. It's not you doing it. It's in the name of Jesus. I just want you to say something like, ears be healed now in Jesus' name. We ask, Father, that you would come and open up, just open up the pathway for sound to rush in. Eardrums be healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Even issues with balance. I just pray, Father, that you would rebalance equilibrium right now in Jesus' name. You would allow, recreate the fluid, push the fluid to the other side, whatever you need to do, Father. We ask, God, that fluid is balancing out, that there's stability in our stance, and that hearing will come in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Father, I pray for anyone with a desire for more spiritual hearing now. Father, we pray, God, that you would open up our spiritual ears, that we would hear the voice of the Lord whispering to us in the morning, that we would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying for us to do, guiding us along each and every day, Father. We just ask that you would open wide our spiritual ears as well. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, thank you. All right, if you are hearing more, I want you to testify I don't care if it's today, right now. I don't care if it's in the weeks to follow. If you know that the Lord is even advancing your hearing, even a little bit, we come into Thanksgiving for what the Lord's doing and we thank him and we praise him and worship him and we believe for greater breakthrough as it comes. Let's take the bread together. So in verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're actually proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So Father, we thank you that by your blood, the symbol of this cup, we can enter into a kingdom. We can be children of the king. It amazes me. We thank you for it, Father. We just take this in faith, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that we stand righteously underneath the authority of God, our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't you go ahead and take it together? Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for joy. We thank you for peace. We thank you for righteousness. We thank you for your kingdom. We just pray that we can advance it in the most practical ways this week by your Holy Spirit. Just allow your blessing to flow upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.